listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Good morning, gang. Uh, If you had to take notes, we'd bring them out right now. Today is the last part, I can't believe it, of a journey really that we've been on uh, from January until now answering some of the deeper themes in our life, like what your life is missing. Man, after an offering like that, I really feel like we need to give Pastor Eric a Sunday. I don't know. Amen, somebody? Uh, Man, I love today, and and I love that. Uh, While you're pulling out your note sheet, I do want to give you two quick announcements. Everybody say, this Wednesday? Everybody say, this Wednesday? This Wednesday, we are having student culture, which is our middle school and high school ministry here at New Chapel, and we just confirmed it that Pastor Tommy Pinkerton is going to be preaching at that service, and so make sure to get your young person out on Wednesday, and that really is uh, kind of cool. They get a little bit of a a taste of what's going to be happening on the weekend because this Sunday, everybody say Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, so Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, and Pastor Tommy Pinkerton is going to be here 9 o'clock and at 11, and he's going to be preaching both of those services. And then at 6 o'clock in the evening, uh, he is going to be here at our Super Bowl party where we're having a chili cook-off, a dip cook-off. By the way, if you plan on bringing that, some on, some, yeah, I know you have, uh, but go and sign up for that so we know that you're coming. Everybody else, you can just show up. But uh, if you are coming with chili or dip, we want to be ready for everybody. Now, as far as the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service this next Sunday on Super Bowl, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. If you don't come to one of those services, God is going to strike down your team and they're going to lose in Jesus' name. I promise you that. And conversely, if you come by the new chapel and you come here on Super Bowl Sunday, your team's going to win in Jesus' name. And so we do what we can. Uh, In this series, we've had an arc to the story, a point that we've shared with you every single week, and that is this. That many people have high hopes for their life, and yet at the same time, those high hopes are not realized because they're missing something. People have these high hopes, these dreams that God could do something. They want to change at the onset of the year, and at the same time, they're missing some components. And, And what I've learned in my Christian walk is this. I am what I do. I might feel like I'm a different person, but the reality is I am what I'm doing. And here's what I know. God has more for our lives. He's not finished with any of us. And every single person in the sound of my voice, you're here, you're wherever here is, and and at the same time, God has another step for you. God's not done with you, and he has a next step in front of every single person. And and I want to share with you today a, a concept that's found all through the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament. The earliest part of the Bible I can find is in Exodus 6. It's all through the New Testament. It's shared so many ways. I'm going to explain what that thing is, but first I want to explain the thing that fuels it. I'm going to show it to you out of the book of Proverbs chapter 29. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Proverbs 29. The Bible says this in Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision. Everybody say vision. Vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. No vision. Vision uh, there is the, the Bible word, the Hebrew word, kazown. Uh, kazown, not calzone. That's what you're eating for lunch if you have taste. But uh, it's kazown. And uh, what it means is a divine vision. 
a godly dream. It's talking about more of a, a godly purpose that's been revealed to you. And, and so it's not just vision, any vision. Uh, it's a vision from God where there is no God dream in your life. The people perish. And that might not be naturally, physically dead, but you'll die on the inside. And I know many of us have gone through seasons like that. And, and you think it's about something else. It's actually because you can't see where you're going. Uh, it says it this way. So that's King James. It's kind of like my old school version. This is what it says in the NIV, uh, which stands for nearly inspired version. If, if you, you didn't know, uh, it says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. And this is where we see a generation of people that, that are like, it is what it is, Pastor Joe. I, I, W, I, I, it is what it is. And th- th- there's young people that, that say, whatever. But that's young people. I've heard 20, 30, 40, 50 something, 60 somethings just be like, whatever with their life. Why are they like that? There's no revelation. They can't see that God dream, right? And so you cast off restraint. You'll cast off restraint. You'll be dismissive in your marriage. You'll be dismissive of your dreams and your emotions. You'll just blow off whole seasons of your life. You'll spend whole seasons of your, of your, of your children playing in front of you on your phone. You just, you just check out. And that, that deadly existence, it, it, you perish in a way, to the season at least, it's not the way God intended you to live your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, many of you have come to New Chapel in the last several weeks, even uh, earlier than that, maybe December, January, because you want some, some change in your life. You, you want to take some ground. And, and I'm so happy you're here. You're, you're in the right place. But you come in and you think about it like you need to stop doing something. Because there isn't that revelation, you've cast off restraint and things have gotten loose and things have lost order, right? Maybe even gotten loose morally and you're like, we got to rope this thing together. I got to get back on track. And you think that looks like stopping something. Let me help you, friend. Yes, you you need to stop that. But, But more importantly, even before you stop it, God wants to start something in your life. He wants the change to be initiated on the inside first. You won't have the strength to stop that thing that you want to get back into order. Or if you do stop it, it'll be for a season and it will come back because you won't have the wherewithal because it is spiritual change on the inside that produces natural change on the outside. Anybody with me? That's massive deal that that change that you're looking for is found there. And we need order because so many of our lives find themselves in the spot where it's out of place. But order doesn't come from, again, stopping something. Order comes from vision and purpose and passion in your life. Can I hear an amen, church? Now, I want to read for you that same passage that we just read, but I'm going to read it out of the message version of the Bible. You should know that the message is not a translation of the Bible. It's a paraphrase. So in other words, somebody took the translation and then they just put it into modern English. In fact, the person who wrote it, Eugene Peterson, he wrote it so people in Boston can understand. He almost had to rate it in like cave drawings. But anyway, okay. It says this in Proverbs 29, 18. If people can't see what God is doing, what do they do? They stumble all over themselves. When you can't see what's going on, when you can't see the next step, when you don't know what you're supposed to, what am I doing? When that happens, you stumble all over. And notice it's not everybody else. Bible's very clear about it. You think everybody else is your problem? You're stumbling over you. Because you don't have, well, it was them. You're in the wrong spot because you don't know where you're supposed to be. But when they attend to what? To what God reveals. You know what's better than you trying to figure it out? Is if God just reveals it to you. Like, how many fingers am I holding up? You could guess or we could just show you. God wants to reveal it to you. That's revelation knowledge. 
Bible says, attend to what God reveals, and then you're going to be the most blessed. Everybody say the word blessed. We think that means just happy, and it does. The Bible's original language is, uh, what that word would be is makarios, and it means happy, but it doesn't mean happy like when Pastor Eric does an offering. It's, it's happy, not happy, happy, happy. It's happy like I am content I am fulfilled in the deepest part of me. I am resolved. Can I put it old school? Remember we used to read out of those books, everybody? It is well with my soul. That's what God has for you when you attend to what he has for you. And so what should we do? Sink into what that looks like. How do we get there? How how do we take that step? Okay, that set me up for the journey that God wants to take all of us on. It's found in Psalm 16. It gives us our verbiage for today. And it says this, David is praying and he prays to God. He says, God, you will show me the way of life, the way of life. Write that down in your notes, circle it. If you have your Bible open to it, you will show me the way of life. What's he going to do? You're going to grant me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Before I really found a vibrant relationship with God through Jesus, I thought if I was going to accept Christ and really jump into everything Christianity has to offer, it was going to be so boring. In fact, anybody else, you can't stand Sundays just the day before work. That's how I was before Christ. It's just like, ah. And, and I thought I was going to have to be Casper Milky Toast, be a little weakling. I, I said, I'm never going to have any fun ever again in my life. And what I've realized is this, is that in this spiritual journey that God has for us, he wants to show us the way of life. It is not boring. He's going to give you joy, joy that's not just the happy, happy, happy. In spite of the chaos in your life, you can have a deep and resounding joy, and then you can have pleasure in living out this life with him forever. It is not going to be boring. It's an adventure. In fact, the greatest adventures I've ever had in my life have been because I'm a Christ follower. You know, I have this thing in me, and guys, you know what I'm talking about. You want to go on an adventure. I love, I'm a hunting fool. I love killing those deer so much. I, in fact, I do altar calls and then introduce people to the real Jesus here. I introduce deer to Jesus all the time as well. All altar calls and funerals in that case. But, but I, lo- I can't wait to go on a bear hunt. I'm salivating. I went on a bear hunt last spring up in Manitoba, and I didn't get a bear. Do you know what that's like? It makes you want bear really bad. And, and I want adventures. And I thought this life was going to be boring. But the greatest adventures have been lived out. with The people of God on adventures with God, building something great together with you. And so, gang, that, that's what God has for you. And it is a clear path for all of us. How are you going to have forward motion? How are you going to get out of that, that lack of order, that wandering, that chaos? It's going to be found when you take God's way of life. The number one question that I get as a preacher is, Pastor, what's God's plan for my life? What does God want me to do? What am I supposed to be doing with this? Why am I sucking air still? I don't know what, what's the meaning of all of this. It's profound. It's huge. And it frustrates me sometimes when I see Christians living less than that great call. In fact, I see people and they live less than what Jesus paid for. Now listen to me. If all that Jesus paid for on that cross in in his burial and resurrection was eternity in heaven, wouldn't that be quite enough? It, It would be amazing. But that's not all he died for. He ratified salvation when he rose from the dead, and it gave you great and precious promises. 
paired with the lifestyle is all of these incredible benefits to God's goodness that he wants to pour out on us. And, and, and if he died for you and if he paid that price with his blood, and these are blood-paid gifts that he has for you, you have a blood-paid right to them, it is not then humility for you to live less than what God has provided for. In fact, it really, in a way, is a lot of arrogance and pride at the great gift of Jesus. Let me show it to you. There's a great dividing line in the Bible, and it's found in John's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus said this, The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus puts the line in the sand. Here's where it goes, boys. I'm here that you might have life and have it to the full. So the things that steal and kill and destroy in this world, they are not from God. Well, Pastor Joe, I believe I got this sickness and God is really teaching me something. You might be learning something about God during the sickness, but the Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, my granny, she got taken before time and I learned a lot of life lessons. Well, just imagine, that's how God needs to do it for everybody? So everybody's grandma's got to drop dead before you're going to learn how to act right. Oh, you can make a decision. The things that steal, kill, and destroy are from the enemy. Say amen, somebody. But the life and have it to the full, that's not life when you die. Well, then I'm going to go to heaven. That's where real life is. Look, I get what you're saying. But he's saying, I've come that you might have, have it and have it to the full. Meaning, some of us are living so much less than what God has paid for. And it's not right. I want to give you this way of life, and it's built on four things. You can, again, find them all through the Bible. It's said different ways. I'm going to articulate it the way that I think is the clearest here at New Chapel. Jot these down, four things. Then I'm going to give us four practical things before we leave. But uh, first thing is this. You need to, write it down, know God. The first step of this way of life is that you would know God. So God has a plan for your life. It's a good plan. And, and it's said so many different ways, but the first way to do it is, is to know him. Now, there are people that want nothing to do with religion. They want nothing to do with organized church or, or an institutional religion. But everybody wants to know God. Everybody wants to know. Even atheists want to know God. They might not lit on because they're very cavalier about that, as I've seen. But there is something in their heart. The Bible says eternity has been set in the heart of every man. And there's something in them that there's a pull towards, towards this desire to have this question answered, is is there God? In fact, their, their fervor for telling you that there isn't is an indicator that they've searched before. And so, friend, there is a God, and God wants to know you. He wants to know you personally, but he does not just want to know you here. See, that's Western Michigan. They know a lot about God. In fact, they love to get in arguments about God. If you get into a tennis match with them, I'm telling you, they will serve you something so hard, hit you with it, you know, like act right, you know, and they know God. But I found everything changed in my life when I didn't just know him, I knew him. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? It's not just knowing about him, that's a good thing, but it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And if you know him, you can know very little outside of that, but have a relationship with God, and that makes all the difference in the world. Why are you saying this, Pastor Joe? Look at me, listen. He loves you more than you know. He desires to rest his favor on you. He has good things for you. The Bible says you can't even imagine the good things. He's a way better dad than your daddy. He loves you so much, and he wants to make this relationship with you so, so vibrant that it can change every area of your life. And people still, even, even in Western Michigan, 
they missed the most important thing. What is it? First Timothy says, some of these people have missed the most important thing in life. What is it? They don't know God. So the most important thing is that you would know him, not know about him, not practice rites, ritual, and religion, but that you would have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is your God. Amen, somebody? Second part of the way of life. So God has a way. He has a path he wants you to go down. Second thing is this. Write it down. Find freedom. Find freedom. Write that down. Huge deal. And by the way, you can't go on to the next one until you've done the first one. So you're not going to find freedom until you know God. Once you know God, he has a path for you to find freedom. And and God wants to help get us over our hang-ups, our issues in life, our past, our shame, the secrets that we hold on to, our old habits, our old addictions. He wants, to, he wants to deliver us from all of that junk and set us free. And, and, and it's the thing in your life that you know, if it were gone, your life would be so much better. And everybody knows what I'm talking about right now because it's different for every one of us. And he wants you to be free from all of that junk. Some people try pills and therapy, and there's a, there's a place for that. But, but I think more often than not, we miss the goodness of God because the Bible says in John's Gospel, chapter 8, that who the Son sets free is free indeed. That's what we need. We need to live free. Say amen, somebody. Third thing is this. Write it down. We need to discover purpose. Know God. Find freedom. The third step in this way of life is that you would discover purpose. Discover it. So like not manufacture it. God wants you to know what his great call is on your life. There's two great days in a man's life. The day he was born and the day he finds out why he was born. Far too many, even in our church, are struggling with purpose. I told you that you can't go on to the next step unless you finish the one before. Could it be in a way that because there's a smudge on your glasses, you can't see forward, because we haven't dealt with freedom, you're not free from that junk, there's no clarity on on what God has in the future. So I would just say this, don't condemn yourself. Lean into the goodness of God and say, okay, God, I'll go back to find freedom. I'll go back to this, and that is the quickest way to find this in your life. But God has a unique purpose for every single person in the room, and it is customized to who you are. Galatians 6, the Bible says this, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given. By the way, we do that in New Chapel Connect. We open up this discussion about purpose, and and we give you motivational giftings tests, spiritual giftings tests, personality things. And those are just tools, because you can fib us and fib yourself on those. But if if you do those and lean into it, you'll make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given. Sometimes when you're free and then you're like, oh, look at all my gift set, Anybody in the room could be like, well, that's your calling. You're so good at that thing. Or at least this is the next step in all of that. It becomes so clear. And then what do you do? You sink yourself into that. And that's what we want to help you to do. A little commercial for New Chapel Connect because it wouldn't be a sermon at New Chapel without one. Uh, Fourth step in the way of life. Write it down. And that is for you to make a difference. Make a difference. Write that down. Know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. And make a difference. And this is huge. This is where it's all going. And we'll spend a lot of time today talking about this last of the four points because I think it is missing in some of our lives. But John's Gospel, chapter 15, Jesus said this, huge deal. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you, write it down, bear much fruit, fruitfulness. There's a production value, if you will, in your Christian walk. God's glorified that you'd bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples, 
So discipleship is not just you coming to New Chapel, got a coffee in one hand, waving in Jesus the other one during our, our worship, and taking good notes. That makes you a good doobie, not a good disciple. We need both. And so to marry those, you got to be fruitful. You, you've got to have a production value in your Christian walk. It's a huge deal. In fact, some of you that have been like, why am I here? What's the purpose to life? Friend, it's to make a difference. If you want to know why you're here, four reasons. It is to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. All of that will be played out relationally in your relationship with God. And when you sink into that way of life, that path, friend, there is makarios. There's that happiness of fulfillment that I can't describe. Preaching would fall short. Amen, somebody? And so that is the difference maker. That's the thing that you need. And so in John 15 and verse 11, that that passage continues on because that's not all. It is your purpose to be a difference maker, but verse 11, the Bible says this. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. Friend, there is something about your Christian faith you will never understand. There is something about your relationship with God you will never get until you are paying uh, blessing somebody and serving somebody that can't pay you back. Until you're serving somebody else, there is something about this faith that just will not register. So that hole in your life, that void that we have, it's filled by that dream, that God dream, that kazon, right? That, that, that primal vision that God wants to give every single one of us. Now, some of us in the room, you're trying to do that, but you're doing it on your own. And I'll tell you this, you're never going to get where you need to be by just striving and doing it on your own. If you're trying to make a difference or become somebody apart from God, it will not be fulfilling even when you get there. It requires him on the journey. And so what your life is missing The last thing, write this down. The ultimate purpose in life is to make a difference in eternity. Now, I'm going to give you some practical things, but I want to talk about something very serious first. There is a trend in church circles. Uh, Yes, in western Michigan, for sure, but it's, it's all over. And it's this trend, especially since the last three years happened. And it's this trend to circle the wagons. And we don't need to go reach everybody out there. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, Pastor. I don't know anything about that, but we're going to circle the wagons, and we're just going to be us four no more here. We're going to have longer services. We're going to have fun in the Holy Ghost, and we're going to do all this. And listen to me very carefully. There's a place for that. It's important. But at the same time, I think to the person that would convey that to me, sorry about lost people in your city. And hear me now, this is not about building New Chapel just to be some big church. If you think that, you've missed the entire purpose. We do this because heaven and hell are realities, and we need to share this good news gospel. In fact, hey, Western Michigan, this is a big deal even in Grand Rapids. Hell's real. Like, we have to talk about that. We have to go in because the things that hang in the balance are massive. And so we need to be the people that share the goodness of God. We're not doing this just to be bigger. It's because people need that same relationship we have And so what do we do? Jesus said it this way. And these are some of the last words he said. On the night he went to the cross, for for my sin and yours, he said this. In John 17, 18, in the same way, God, he's praying this to the Father, that you gave me a mission in the world. In the same way, I give them mission. So, So you gave me a mission. I'd say Jesus was on mission, everybody. He was making it happen. 
In the same way that he got that mission from God, in the same way, same, not different, same way he's commissioning you. He put a mission in your world, a mission in your heart, in the same way. And he wants you to be on mission with him. Say amen, somebody. Like, now that I completed my mission, I'm giving them a mission. He lived his life on mission. I remember the story. uh, Y'all remember when Jesus was 12 years old and he went to the temple and his parents were there, some, some religious feast that they were celebrating, and uh, they're all celebrating, and then Mary and Joseph left, and they just assumed that their child was with them because, hello, and, and so they just left, and Jesus, they couldn't find Jesus. I mean, think about it in your context. You're a parent, right? Could you imagine losing your kid? They lost the son of the living God, the Almighty himself in human form. NBD just lost Jesus, okay? So they go back to the last place that they saw him, back at the temple, and, and they roll in there, and Jesus, 12 years old, he's getting ready for his bar mitzvah. He's 12 years old, and he's sitting there. He's talking to the chief rabbis, the chief leaders and teachers of the law. And the Bible says that he was confounding them. And Joseph's like, hey, we got to go. And, and Jesus says, I must be about my father's business. In other words, I get it. We got to go, but I, I got I to do me. He's getting ready to be a 13-year-old boy, which if your 13-year-old boy pops off to you like that, he ain't Jesus. So he doesn't have the right to do that, but... <laughs> In that culture, he'd be considered a man. And Jesus was, was within himself saying like, hey, it's time. It's time for me to start to work. It's time for me to lean into my calling. I must be about my father's business. And so, so right from the onset, he's on mission. And then I think about the last words that Jesus actually uttered on the cross. What did he say? It is finished. What's it? The mission. I'm here on mission. I got something to do. It's the reason why I'm here. Why am I alive? Jesus didn't ask that. He knew he was on a sent mission from God. Amen, somebody? And so there is a place for longer services. There is a place for for a night of worship, extra special services. But the reason why we do church the way that we do on a Sunday morning is because there are people who are far from God, and they need to see and experience the goodness of their God, and we're going to show it to them. Amen, somebody? Come on, somebody. Now, the church that I was at when I was younger, it was all about us. We were cultural Christians. What does that mean? It means that I'm not Buddhist and I'm not a Muslim. And so I'm a Christian. <laughs> we're setting up a Christmas tree. I'm a Christian. We hide the Easter eggs. I'm a Christian. You hear what I'm saying? Like, we weren't deep. But if anybody we, we, we resigned with, it would be Jesus. Well, the church that I went to off and on, it was all just for us. And when I got together with those people, there was a small country church just west of Sparta, and, and there was about 10 people in a 100-seat sanctuary. And uh, remember those old boards they used to have at the front of the sanctuary? And, and it'd be like, you know, uh, uh, these are the, the scriptures for the message, and here's the different numbers of the hymns we're going to sing. And somebody gave five bucks in the offering last week, and, 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 then, and then it had the attendance. And I noticed this. I remember this standing up. It had 11 up there. I thought, what the world? I know this church. There was 10 people here last, last week. And so I went up and asked, hey, hey y'all lying? There's only 10 people. They said, well, we invited Jesus. And so they put 11 up on the board because I told our counters to do the same thing. I'll take everything I get. But anyway, <clears throat> that church, it took some ground, but it was very nominal increase because it was all about them. It was all about us being right. We weren't reaching out to anybody in the world. Now, the contrast in my life is when I was 17 and I went to a life-giving church in my hometown, it changed everything. And for a decade before I ever went into that church, it was making a difference in the community. 
So like uh, they heard that the firefighters needed some equipment, so they took up an offering and bought the stuff for the firefighters and gave it away for free. And, and no strings, right? And, and then the cops in town, they had bulletproof vests, but they were the old style. So in other words, there's new ammunition, so it's outdated. It could, they're still at very high risk. And so the church heard about this and said, well, that can't be. So they bought them brand new Kevlar vests, the state of the art at the time. It was amazing. And they would do, uh, they would do a Halloween outreach. I remember, uh, you know, I've always been me, so I'm a little bit task-oriented. And so I'd, I'd go hit all the neighborhoods I knew where to go. And I remember I'd have a big, we all used our pillowcases back in the day before, like, Target made your kids bougie. And, uh, and so I'd have half of a pillowcase full, and I felt pretty good about myself. We'd all bring our candy the next day to school. Well, my buddy at the bus stop, Raymond, he shows up, and his pillowcase is still full. He can't close it. What? what do you, where'd you get all that stuff from? He told us about the church. And a big outreach they had in the community for Halloween. They leveraged a negative thing for a positive. And, and then the Easter services. I remember going to the doctor one time, and they'd have banners out by the road. 10,000 eggs are going to be given away with cash in them and stuff like that. Man, I tell you what, I came from a poor country. Everybody wanted to go get those eggs. We had adults trying to go on an egg hunt. And it was 10 years of those outreaches before I ever darkened the door. And by the way, the reason why this church is doing its thing in its 10th year is simply because we've been consistent, spinning that flywheel, loving on people, seeing people through, not seeing people, uh, or seeing uh, through people. We've been loving on people. And so in kind, I went to that church and my life was changed. And I got on mission. The, the, the whole church was completely different than my church. It was all focused on the outside. They, they wanted to touch the whole world. And I could get with all of that. And that has bred in me, your pastor, a passion for this purpose. And it's not all about us. Amen, somebody? Let me read it for you in Acts 20. Paul wrote it and he said, I don't care about my own life. What's the most important thing? That I can complete my mission. It's the work that the Lord gave me to tell people that good news gospel about God's grace. That's what it's about. I don't care. It's that all the other things are in the periphery of my life. I want to focus on what God has for me. Amen, somebody? God gave you an assignment. Well, Pastor Joe, that's just for pastors. That's just, that's just for churches. If you think that it's just for me, you are so wrong. It's not just for me. Turn that upside down. It's for we. It says this in Ephesians 2, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Hey, you're not saved by good works. If your faith is in good works, you are jacked because you can't do enough good to, to get into heaven. However, you are saved to good works. That he'll save you just as you are. But then he has this incredible dynamic plan for your life that he had prepared in advance for you to do it. It's for every single one of us. And the happiest people, the most focused people, the most problem-free people that I know, they got this unlocked. They got this mission in their heart. And it's not even so much that they have less problems than anybody else. It's, it's, their approach to it is different because of their focus in their life. There's a grace on all of it. Say amen, somebody. I want to share for, uh, with you a story that I, I heard this week, and I'm borrowing very heavily in this message, but uh, it was a, a story that was printed inside a Florida newspaper, and it was about the dog track. And I've never been by the dog track before, but I have watched Bugs Bunny. And so, um, so anyway, uh, they, they, they had this dog track, and, and here's how it works for those of you that are like me. Uh, so they've got all the dogs, and the dogs aren't going to race themselves, right? And so they, they've got uh, a fake rabbit in the middle of the track, and it, it zips by, 
And so the dogs are chasing that rabbit. And the whole idea is that that's what gets them around the track. Okay, so this is what was in that newspaper article. Uh, one day, they, they get ready to go, and it's, they, they hit the gun, and, and it's off to the races. That bunny rabbit goes about halfway through, and the dogs are keeping up. And then it got hooked on something, and, and that little fake rabbit went and kind of just broke into a million pieces. There's fake rabbit hair all over the place and gears and stuff like that. And what happened was amazing because people don't see this. This is what the dogs did. Some dogs flipped out and started running all over the place, tried to run into the stands. One dog even in, broke some ribs. I mean, it was a bad deal. Uh, another dog just stopped. The rabbit's gone, sat down, eventually laid down and took a nap right there in the middle of that, of that field. And, and then there was a, a third type, this, this type of dog, there were several, they went over to the stands, so they were all focused on that rabbit, but then all of a sudden they became aware of their surroundings, they went up to the stands and looked at the people and just started, <laughs> started barking at all the people inside the stands. And here's what I realized, we're all chasing something. And if you're chasing the wrong thing and it's fallible and it falls apart, I see people without purpose doing one of three things. Either, number one, they flip out and hurt themselves. Number two, they're falling asleep, taking a nap. Or number three, they're barking at everybody. (laughs) And so what are you chasing? The big idea is that in your life, if you're not chasing that kazam, that God dream, that that purpose that he has for you, you're going to be one of those three, and you might be spotting yourself right now. Friend, God has more. Okay, now we all have an individual calling. I've spent a whole series talking about that in the fall. I want to talk about our general calling that's on all of us, the common calling, and then I'll give us uh, just three practical things before we pray. Acts 1.8, the Bible says this. Jesus is ascending up into heaven. The way I picture the painting, if you're like me, is he's about 12 feet off the ground, okay? He's ascending into heaven, and Jesus says that you will be my witnesses. Pause. Everybody look at me. Witnesses. You're not going to be his judge. You don't need to go into people's lives and start judging them. Well, you just act right, you know? Listen, when I was a sinner, I, was, I knew I was going to hell. I knew it. I knew I was going to hell. I knew I was acting crazy. They know oftentimes what's wrong. What they need to know is what's right. And so you're not their judge. You're also not their prosecutor. Meaning that you don't need to get into a trial lawyer fight about who's right in the situation. So you might not know everything about how to defend young earth creationism or, or, or how to convey the end times. And you get to somebody else that doesn't believe like you, they just want to fight. That's not your calling. That's not your call. What are you called to do? Be a witness. What does a witness do? They get up that stand and be like, this is what I saw. This is what happened to me. I was jacked. My life was messed up. And look, I'm not perfect even right now. But God, with a mighty hand, came into my life, saved me. And look, we don't fight like we used to. My family's back together. And God's on the move, somebody. That's what a witness does. What do you do? You witness. This this is what happened to me. You can't argue with a changed life. So he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. Let me give you some thoughts about this. What does that mean? Because it's not just for them, it's for all of us. When he said to reach Jerusalem, it was really to those people right around them in the city. That's what it was. And so for your Jerusalem, so to speak, it's Grand Rapids. It's Sparta. It's Cedar Springs. God knows they need the the, the risen Savior (laughs) in the city of Cedar Springs. (laughs) I got a couple other cities on my short list. (laughs) But it's, it's the people right around you. It's the people in your family. It's your friends. It's your coworkers, right? So Jerusalem. But then when Jesus said uh, uh, Judea and Samaria, this is what this means. It means those that are close to you 
but different from you. Write that down. Close to you, but they're different from you. So this would have been the one in the list when Jesus is, is saying this, that they'd be like, okay, I'm down with the world, and I'm down with Jerusalem. We don't want to go to Judea and Samaria. Why? They were spiritually different, different religion, and they were racially different. And this isn't the only time in history where we've dealt with this stuff. And Jesus says, yeah, them. They're close to you, but they're just not like you. My daughter was taught a song by Jackie Rash, one of our kids' workers back there. And by the way, every age, including in nursery, they give your kids uh, a lesson, every age. And Vera loved the song and would be singing it while she was playing. Now we have to sing it to her every single night. Do you know what it is? Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious. We visit an old church. Jesus loves children. Where's that guy at New Chapel? Now you're all so glad that I'm not the worship leader as well as the pastor. We sing it every single night, and I hope it gets in her. God's colorblind. He doesn't see any of that junk. He sees his people. And you're going to have to cross barriers. They're different. They're older. How about that? New Chapel's incredible at that. Older, younger, it's all the same here. Black, white. In fact, before certain political parties tried to alienate certain races inside our nation, we look like the United Nations on a Sunday morning. Quiet in this Presbyterian church. And you know what we need to do? Forced racism is, is this forced diversity, and that's racism. But what we need to do is reach out to everybody. Everybody, every background. And you've got to get over the fear to talk to people. You've got to get over it. So we need to reach everybody. I could preach a whole message on that. Write this one down, to the ends of the earth. We need to reach the ends of the earth. And that's reaching those that are far away from me, beyond me. Now, we are a missional church because we're a church full of people that are on mission. And so 27 million people today are in human trafficking. They're slaves. There's more slaves today than there has ever been. Y'all ever been by the Walmart and they've got all the pictures of the missing kids up there? Yeah, it's an industry. It's a, it's a lucrative industry. And at the same time, there are 4 billion people around this world that have never heard the message of the goodness of God expressed through Jesus. There are languages that exist even today and there's no translation of the Bible in that particular language. What are we going to do about that? We better have a plan for all of that. So I want to... I Jump into three practical things that we can do, and then I want to pray for us. Number one, write it down. You need to make a difference in your world. In fact, I I made it personal, my world. If you write that down, circle the word my. I'm going to make a difference in my world. This is your world, your people, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors and classmates. What does Mark 5 say? Go home to your family and friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Who's the first mission field? Your family and friends. Tell them about what God did. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, turn or burn. Get right or get left. Those guys make my job hard. What do you tell them? How God's been good to you. How it took somebody like me. Can you believe it? Somebody was born in Nuevo. Bless God, we all can get saved. If there's hope for me, there's hope for the world. (laughs) That's what you tell them. And so 
I think about this room and how we've run out of space, and this stage is going to be pushed back. I have to let you know some really good news. One of you stepped up to the plate and has donated $20,000 to buy brand new chairs for this church. Hallelujah. We need them. We have a lid right now. We're, we're turning people off because, because of how packed it is in this room. You know what it's like when you go into a movie theater. You want space for your feet. Well, we don't have that. And so we need some space. Hallelujah. So we're going we're gonna to reach our world first. Number two, I've got to press on. We need to make a difference beyond our world. I had a friend that I grew up with. He was in my world but became someone who was not in my world. And he lived rough. Eventually went to jail, then went to prison. I visited him there because the Bible tells us to do that. And I built a relationship with him and worked on him, invited him for years and years and years. He got out, invited him for years and years and years. And and my favorite day at church, everybody, was when he sat at that corner chair in the front row. And that's going to be your favorite day at church. When people who are not like you, the friends and family, yes, but then the people who are outside of your circle, when you're able to reach them, that's, that's what it's all about. So the people beyond your world. 1 Corinthians 9, whatever a person is like, Whatever they're like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ. And then what do we do? We let Christ save him. That's what we do. We try to find the common ground. You know the best place to find common ground? Find a hurt in their life and heal it. Talk to them. Everybody's going through something. Even just listening to where they're going through something is a huge deal. Galatians puts it this way in Galatians 6. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens. And that's how you can, can complete Christ's law. Stoop down. I love that. That's what Christianity looks like. Uh, in your little weekly today, you might notice these little blue cards. If everybody could just take those out right now. I want to talk about those for a second. Uh, there are these little cards that say something extra to show God loves you. You know, there are people that are outside of your bubble. And because uh, we live in such a bubble, because of our phones, because of our jobs, uh, things have really pared down just to the people that you know. And so to get outside of your bubble, I have put this card in your hand. And this is something that you can do. And all I'm asking for is just like pray about it. But if you can do it once a year, it's a big deal. Here's what it looks like. You're going through Starbucks, drive through. Lord knows you do. I do it too. And, um, and get some secular coffee. <laughs> and, and, and when you're going through there, Hey, what's the order of the person behind me? Ah, it's five bucks. It's seven bucks. It's 10 bucks. Perfect. I'll pay for it. You give them this card. Tell them I got it for them. And what it does is it's not soliciting them to anything. It just lets them know there's a church in Grand Rapids that's not asking anything from you. In fact, we're giving to you. Enjoy the coffee. But it's saying God loves you. I love that. And some of you have gotten turned on to this, and you love it. You've got gobs of those little cards. You're looking for opportunities. But if you've never done anything like that before, I encourage you, just do it. Get outside of you and make a difference beyond your world. Number three, got to press on. We need to make a difference in the whole world. Circle the word whole, the whole world. So many of us cannot go, but I want you to know, because you're faithful here at New Chapel, and you're so generous, your giving goes every single day of the week. We give over 10% to world missions. Over 10 cents out of every dollar goes outside of this house. I believe in that to world missions. And it it mainly goes to the 1040 window. That is the longitude and latitude of one of the most unreached areas in the world. It's the most unreached area. This is where you find 42% of the world's population and 90% of its poverty. 100% of terrorism comes from that area. 
They are the least reached people in this world. And, and it is where the gospel is preached the least. And so what do we do? We send money on and we support missions that are doing work in some of those countries. And that actually, a lot of theologians would tell you, is where the Garden of Eden might have been located. And so it makes sense. Everything started there and we're all going back to the last frontier to wrap this thing up. But Pastor Eric, my father-in-law, started a ministry called Pastor's Friend and in the last two years has had incredible strides taken in the country of Pakistan. We have, with him, started Christian schools, planted churches, freed debt slaves, and held crusades with thousands of people that have accepted Christ. Yeah, why not? Hallelujah. <laughs> Pastor Joe, is it easy? No. Is it cost-effective? No, it's, it's very costly, actually. But at the same time, I know that Jesus said this in Mark 16, 15. He said, go everywhere in the world and tell everybody. What are we telling them? That good news gospel that Jesus died in your stead. He rose from the dead and, and through a relationship with him, your life can be transformed. That's what God has for every single person. And that's why, not next week, that's Pastor Tommy, but the week after that, we're starting a brand new series that we're calling Missio Dei. Missio Dei is the doctrine of the mission of God. It actually is going to open up a season here that will go all the way to just before Easter at New Chapel, where we will be talking about the mission of God. It's a huge deal. Now, the mission of God, I always felt, was something that I was on. I thought of myself as a missionary to Grand Rapids, as somebody that was sent to be here and to make a difference. And this is true. I am a missionary to Grand Rapids. And I was always hard on some of those missionaries. I went to Bible school with some great people, but also some fakes. They wanted to go to Timbuktu and, and, and then wanted to live like an American there and wanted me to float their American lifestyle in the name of missions. And I wasn't all about it. And I was very critical of it. Now, I always saw great missions. Pastor Eric always did great short-term missions. But the Beamers, uh, Club 1040 is their ministry. Incredible work that they've done out of there. And we've sown for years. I think for about eight, nine years, we've sown to the Beamers, this church has. And so I believe in that, but I was hard on missions. And God snuck up on me. It took us eight years at New Chapel to really get any traction. And, and because of that... It took us eight years to replenish everything that God had done in the beginning to other church planners through our tithe. Always 10% had gone outside of the house. And it was just wrapping up when Pastor Eric was starting his ministry. And it was going to be a little stretch for us. But I thought we could do it. And I said, I'll support you. And so with him and others, we, we sent on a check every single month, faithful to do it. Because if you give a vow to the Lord and you break it, God have mercy on you. And so we did. And God snuck out. holding it together. The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart is also. And I taught that for years. And then we gave to Pakistan. And I found myself checking in more often. Hey, what we do in Pakistan? How's Alcus? He's our contact there. What's going on? Trekking with all of it. And I found my heart moved over there. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You can direct your heart by the way. And I'm enamored with the people of Pakistan. I'm not leaving you, at least permanently. But in the month of March, for the first time after 10 years of senior pastoring, and a long time serving God, 
I'm going to the people of Pakistan for two and a half weeks to serve them. I can't wait, yeah. Why do I share that with you? Uh, we're going to have incredible preachers here while I'm gone. You won't miss out at all. In fact, you'll be glad, and I'll send as many videos as I can get through. I think that there's two mice on a wheel that power the whole nation at this point, and so it's, just, it's a lot. Um, I'll trek with you as much as I possibly can, but it's something I got to do. I got to. It's. Uh, I feel it's a seed for all of us. I feel as though you're sowing your first fruits out of this place. And when I come back, I'm going to have dates for missions, trips that we all can go. You ain't going to Pakistan. That's horrifying. But like maybe South Africa or Guatemala, you know, something safe. But like, I feel like it's something mission critical for me and my calling. And I feel like it is tied to greater influence in the city. And, and, and so we need to be on mission. And you don't have to go to far off lands alone to be on mission. You can do it in your everyday life. What's going to happen when you do it? you'll find life. You'll find reward like you can't imagine. Mark 10. Jesus said, let me assure you, no one has ever given up anything. And here's the big motive. This is why we do it. For the love of me and to tell others the good news who will not be given back a hundred times over. The motive is, I love you, Jesus, and I got to tell other people what you've done. And the Bible says this, you can't outgive God. When you do that, he sees it. And when, he, when you're serving back in kids' church and singing, Jesus loves me to my daughter, when you're back there opening up doors for people as they come into the church, when you're putting out those flags, I have no idea who does it, but God have mercy on you. You, know, you put out those flags every single week, and, and you're making the coffee, and you're, you're at guest services. When you're doing those things, Jesus takes it personally. You're not giving up anything. The reality is you're welcoming the blessing of God on your life. Write this down, then I want to pray for us. I will never, I will never be satisfied simply by making a dollar when my purpose is to make a difference. Is there something missing in your life? Friend, it might be because your life was designed to serve other people and make a difference in this world. And outside of an eternal purpose found through Jesus, You'll never be resolved. Find that resolution. And that's the beginning of peace. Heads bowed and eyes closed all over the room. God, I pray for my church. God, they're, they're facing this, this concrete thought that they need to make a difference in their life. And so, Lord, I pray that they'd be bold, bold to take next steps, bold, God, to trust you in those next steps. God, I pray for the people that know today that they're supposed to join a team or begin to serve or get the whole family signed up. God, I pray that they'd be bold enough to do it. God, I pray that our church would be a church filled with people that make a difference. Help us not just to play church. Help us to be your church in a lost and dying world. God, I pray that if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, that you'd help me to find them. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for one more minute. If you came into this room or you're in the sound of my voice, you're hearing about a God of love, a God that wants to engage your life and go on wild adventures with you. And you know that sounds incredible, but at the same time, you'd say, Pastor Joe, my life is not right with God. I get it, because I was there. And again, I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. And it's so much better on my worst day with Jesus than it ever was in the world. 
The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord means boss. It means you're done being the God of your life and you're ready to put control back into the hands of the God that made you. And that relationship that you'll have with him will be so strong, it will carry you through to eternity. You'll avoid a Christless hell. You'll have eternity in heaven. But that eternal life, that joy and resolve that we were talking about, it will be at your front door. Because eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment that you accept Christ. Now, we're going to pray in just a minute. But I want to know who I'm praying with. Now, I'm not going to call you down to the front. There's public things like baptism and private moments like this. So I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise. I gave you my word. But if you want my prayer today and you say, Pastor, I want to get my life right with God. If that's you in the room, I want you to let me know by lifting up your hand right now. Hands up in the room. Thank you. I see that hand. I got that hand right there, right there. I got that hand. Great job. Right there. Thank you very much. Sir, I see your hand. Ma'am, I see your hand right there. Thank you very much. If there's anybody else, put your hands down. Anybody else, you can lift your hand up. Great job. Okay. I told you that I'd pray for you. I want us all to pray together. This is going to be your moment to call him Lord. And and, and you might feel nothing after this. That's okay. In fact, I would say that's normal. But have trust in this. You've called him Lord, and things have changed on the inside. Once we say this prayer, once we commit our hearts to Christ. Church, I want you to say it with these people who are praying it for the first time. Let's declare our faith. Let's support them. Pray it with me. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ in this place. Let me pray for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have a great week, guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.